You know, I'll tell you one thing. I was interviewing John Wooden on his 96th birthday. And you're going to love this because of the book you wrote. But on his 96th birthday on this TV show, at the end of it, I said, Coach, you're so enthusiastic about life. You're 96 today. Why are you so enthusiastic about life? And he said, Mick, the moment your past becomes more exciting than your future is the day you start to die. This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. Thank you for tuning in today. This is a show for anyone who wants to excel at leading others. I promise to give you practical leadership tips you can use this week. Welcome to this episode. You know, from time to time, I like to interview great leaders, people who've made a big contribution in the world of leadership. And today's one of those times. Instead of me just talking to you about what I think about leadership, we're going to have a wonderful guest, Dr. Mick Euclea, lives in Long Beach, California, is the president of Leadership Track. And we will talk a lot about what that is and who he is. And he's just got some great uh, wisdom to share. He's written a lot of books. And uh, I thought our interview, my conversation with him was so helpful. I mean, I got pretty vulnerable as you listen to this, as he talked about some of the things that he really promotes in his uh, leadership teaching and in his writing. I thought, wow, that's some great, great stuff that I personally need, not just my listeners. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Mick Euclea. Again, remind you that uh, on the show notes is a lot of the things, a lot of the resources and books and articles that he referenced pretty quickly in a short interview. Here we go, Dr. Mick Euclea. Hey, I'm very excited today to have Mick Euclea on my program. Welcome, Mick. Hans, it's great to be with you. Always good to hear your voice. Good to hear your voice. We're going to talk a little bit about how long we've known each other, which is kind of ridiculous because it shows our age. Uh, but I'm really honored to have you on the program today. And uh, let's just talk a little bit about you, Mick Euclea. Um, who are you and what are you doing these days to pursue your passion? Well, I'm doing several things, Hans. I'm, As you said, we're getting up in years, but not enough to where we uh, feel that we've lost our fastball. Uh, we've just, we're doing different things, but I do uh, a lot of writing. I do a lot of consulting. I actually teach an MBA course at Concordia University called Leadership and Development, and that keeps me in the academic field and working with young, sharp people that are getting their MBAs and uh, are faith-based as well. Uh, I write uh, for the Long Beach Business Journal, a syndicated column called Effective Leadership. And, of course, you know, I write books. I do a lot of work with millennials. We wrote a book called Managing the Millennials, uh, Discover the Core Competencies for Managing Today's Workforce by Wiley & Sons. It's in its fifth printing. And we do lots of speaking all over the country in organizations, profit and nonprofit, as the millennial generation is actually... 50% of the workforce now, and things have changed just a bit as work has been democratized in a lot of ways. So that keeps me busy, and I write a blog, and uh, I uh, try to stay current and not overdo myself, if you understand what I mean by that. I do, and that's a lot <laughs> of stuff. And by the way, I did not know about the Millennial book. I apologize, but that's a whole other topic that uh, I would love to interview you on some other time because there's a millennial uh, business guy out in California. He's in the fruit business, and he's 
wants to write a book with me about how millennials can work with boomers. Yours is kind of the other way around, but uh, have you done it? A lot of millennials are frustrated still having to work with boomers because of our different style. Do you cover that at all in the book? Uh, absolutely. We have, uh, it was a three-year research study that we did because everywhere we went talking about leadership, people were saying, who are these people? What, what are they all about? And this was like in 2010. And in those days, it was more anecdotal. You know, the aliens have landed, the, you know, get a trophy for showing up, all these, we love to vilify different generations. Uh, and so we did a three-year research study and came up with nine orientations of millennials, the intrinsic values that drive those behaviors, and the nine managerial competencies that you need to take those points of tension and make them points of connectivity. And really, Hans, all they are is great leadership principles, but they're exponentially important for the millennial generation or they'll walk. That's cool. Excellent. Well, I'm going to get a hold of that. Maybe I, I think I'll forget <laughs> about writing that book. <laughs> Sounds like you no, are. You know, there, there needs to be more done on it. Just get the book and add to it. Uh, yes. You would have some great insights on that, knowing you. Well, that's great. And uh, you mentioned Long Beach, and um, you've always been a Long Beach boy, haven't you? Well, you know, I went to school here and went to Dallas, uh, lived there for eight years. Is where I met you. And we came out here and, of course, started a church. And um, we go back a long ways. This was in 1981, and you were the first missionary our church ever sponsored. That's right, 1981. That so was, we have a lot, of, a lot of firsts. That's like, what, 35 years ago? <laughs> you, you count. <laughs> well, I still remember you and I go, you and I met at Dallas Seminary. I was in my THM program, you were in the doctoral program. I still remember a retreat we went because we both also went to Reinhardt Bible Church. And I still remember a men's retreat uh, that we went to together. Those those were great days, weren't they? Oh, boy. we uh, A lot of mosquito bites, but some great times, some great people. Yeah, so we've known each other, uh, you know, since there were paved highways in America, haven't we? I, I knew you when Moby Dick was a minnow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, we got a lot of great history together, and uh, we have a mutual admiration society, which is always great. Um, let's talk a little bit about leadership. Since you, uh, Now, you didn't really mention leadership track in your introduction, uh, but why don't you mention that before I get into some leadership topics and pick your brain about that? Sure. Leadership track was started in the year, basically the year 2000. I uh, was still pastoring the church, and we had a TV show called Leadership Track. We were in 51 cities. It was a cable show, but I would interview top leaders. And then once a year, we would have a Leadership Track breakfast uh, at the Pyramid, which is a huge stadium at Long Beach State in California. And I got top speakers to come in and try to make it affordable for the public. Uh, it was a, a, a way to have a crossover ministry with the secular populace at large because everybody was interested in leadership. So I would have people in like Ken Blanchard, John Wooden, uh, Patrick Lencioni was one of my speakers, and the list goes on. Some great people, Jim Kiltz, who was the president and CEO of Gillette, uh, Bob Eckert, who was the president and CEO of Mattel. These would be the kinds of speakers we would have. And it would just we'd pack the place out, and I started writing. I've always been interested in leadership, so I started writing uh, in the area of leadership. We started Leadership Track as an organization and actually – have done a lot of work with both profit and nonprofits. Uh, we did Boeing's leadership development program for two years and 
We did the strategy building for Special Olympics uh, when one of my friends took over as the CEO. So we've had a lot of impact in a lot of different organizations, and it's just been a lot of fun to see people change and, and lead at a higher level. By the way, uh, spell a leadership track for our listeners. We'll talk a little bit more about contacting you at the end of the show, but it's kind of tricky. How do you spell it? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you try to be cute and you sort of outsmart yourself. So anyway, we spell leadership track, L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P-T-R-A-Q. Yeah, that's where you get tripped up. So you who are listening, if you want to check out uh, Mick and his website, it's Leadership Track, T-R-A-Q, uh, Leadership Track, is it dot .com? At dot .com, and we do a, uh, a leadership uh, blog each week that we try to make very practical. Sometimes it's personal productivity, other times it's in the direct hit on leadership, but it all deals with leadership. Cool, and I'll have uh, links on my show notes to mix information as well as I'm going to put your books up there. So let's dive right into the main topic that I know our listeners want to hear, and that is uh, top leadership lessons that you've learned and that you propagate. And I know if you're like me, there's gazillions of them, but we're going to talk about the creme de la creme, you know, the big ones <laughs> that you just really, really just say, this, this I will die for. This is so important. Well, you know, I'll tell you right off the bat, in the MBA program I teach, uh, one of the intro letters that I write really, I think, tips my hand on what I feel is incredibly important for leadership. And it's really by Warren Bennis, who was talking about leadership before others really were. And he said that leadership is synonymous with becoming yourself. It's precisely that simple, and it's also that difficult. Love it. Wow. That to me is it's one of the things for me that uh, I have been my biggest obstacle in terms of my own leadership effectiveness. And the more I get to know myself and what makes me tick, you know, my strengths, my passions, you write about passions as well. And and the things that uh, the shadow side of me, knowing full well that I have a shadow side because every strength has a corresponding weakness. So my number one lesson in leadership is really, if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead other people. So you need to get to know yourself. And that is a non-ending discipline. Day by day, you recalibrate, you know yourself better today than you did yesterday. But it takes time. It takes time and some really some re self-reflection on our parts to do that. That's good. It reminds me of the whole emotional intelligence conversation, uh, blind spots. And, you know, it's the same Sort of the yep. same topic if we don't know ourselves, I love that. If you don't know yourself, you can't lead other. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead other people. Well, I'm a certified in the emotional intelligence thing, too, by two different groups. So, I mean, I love that to me. Uh, two-thirds of the competencies that we discover, and this is from MBA graduates, but two-thirds of the competencies that make them successful in leadership are not uh, – are not uh, intellectual competencies, they're emotional competencies. And you, and these are people that did well with the GMAT and got out of the MBA program. They've done study after study, and two-thirds of these competencies are absolutely emotional competencies. Reminds me, too, of the, uh, the fruit of the spirit. If you look at those things, those are really, a lot of those are emotional qualities, emotional intelligence, emotional maturity. The love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. My goodness, you know, uh, th those aren't 
things I do works. I'm that's about me. Yeah. From the inside out. I love that. It's uh, of course, emotional intelligence we call as EQ. And I love that more and more people are realizing that EQ is almost is more important than IQ to be an effective leader. Yeah, IQ is it's a threshold competency. It gets you in the door. And I tell the students, you wouldn't be in this course if you didn't have a certain IQ at Boeing. You wouldn't be in this this building right now if you didn't have a certain IQ. But those are simply threshold competencies that get you in the door. What keeps you here is your emotional uh, EQ. Yeah, I think about when you and I went to seminary way back when. It seems like a lot of our training was IQ related, wasn't it? Yes, and do you, uh, I'm not getting down on anybody no, in no, our no, school because I, I love them down. all. <laughs> but I'm telling you, a lot of the students that were so good with the books would go out and just bomb as leaders because they didn't have that EQ, that disposition that really needed to be developed. Excellent. Okay, let's go to another principle. What's another top one? Well, uh, I think, you know, you talk a lot about passion I believe it's our responsibility each day as well to get up and be gregarious about the life we have, why we're here. People sometimes want to look for passion like it's a nugget in a riverbank somewhere. They're going to dig it up. Uh, I love your book on passion. you, You talk about it a lot, but I highly recommend it. Passion to me is my responsibility. I need to sit down each day and figure out why I'm passionate about what I'm doing. And it's a daily habit, I think, that good leaders will do. That's one of the things they do. Another one is is mastering your moods. Another one is maintaining your focus because we live in such a target-rich environment that if you don't, well, the secret of concentration is elimination. And if you don't start stopping doing certain things, you'll never be focused and do the right things. And to me, that's key. Okay, let's just drill down a little bit in those last two you mentioned. Mastering your moods. Oh, my God. Gosh, I do struggle with that. <laughs> you know, I learned, I, I was sort of employed for most of my career, and I've been on my own the last three years, and now I know what business people go through and all those people who are independent entrepreneurs. If you don't get up Monday morning, nobody cares. <laughs> we are thankful that you are listening to The Leadership Answer Man. Your feedback is always welcome at hansfenzel.com. After two years of podcasting, Hans is starting a new segment, Hans on the Spot, where he will answer your calling questions. Just click on the Call Me button on his website and leave your message. Or call the number 720-440-2981. He will do his best to answer your question on a future podcast. Now, back to the show. You know what? You just hit the nail on the head with me. It's Procrastination is a nice, fancy word of simply saying I was not able to master my moods. I allowed them to master me. Oh, yeah. So what are some tricks? Have you learned any tricks to help? uh... I think a couple habits. Okay. uh, A couple habits really help. One of them is the the habit of acting before feeling, knowing full well that that the word emotions or moods, all of that uh, comes from the word motion. Motion. Life is about motion. It's about movement. And we've got to get up and start moving. And if I waited until I felt like it to get up at 530 in the morning and go work out, I'd miss at least three fourths of my workouts. Right. So I have to the, you know, uh, action before feeling the habit of acting before feeling uh, 
if I don't do that, I allow my moods to master me. And I can change my mood just by acting, by getting up and going. And the mood will come, but you have to do that. The habit of acting before feeling. And the second one is the habit of self-affirmation. What am I telling myself? We have 60,000 thoughts that run through our head every day. And we need to be aware of that monkey chatter in our heads, <laughs> the negative, yeah, yeah, the negative yeah. stuff and the, the, uh, that creates anxiety and, you know, our brain is sitting there. We, we inform our brain. We talk to our brain, the conscious level, but then there's that unconscious level. We need to be aware of what we're saying to ourselves. And, you know, I can think that I'm kind of, uh, uh, it helps me master my moods if I can talk in an affirmative way to myself and not in a negative way. And it programs my brain to do the right thing. And that helps master my moods as well. I love that. Um, I'm a big fan of affirmations. And I'm also, I use Evernote a lot. I don't know if you're an Evernote user or not. But um, but my number one shortcut in Evernote is affirmations for Hans. And it's something I try to read every day. I'm not faithful enough. But it's exactly what it is. Because I am so plagued sometimes by negative self-talk. And and my affirmation sheet, which is very private and confidential, it's about who I know that I am. But it also has some uh, things in there about who I know God thinks I am, because I struggle with the whole thing about the negative message I got from my dad. You know, that sure. you're no good. But God has the opposite view. So I struggle with my heavenly father's view of me. But all that together is I've put together a powerful affirmation page that is both just Generally, what I think uh, I know who I am as well as who God says that I am. And that's a, a tip I would give to anybody to, to write that stuff down. I think that is so key to write it down, because if you don't write it down, it escapes you. You know, if you want to find somebody that really did that well, just go to the Psalms. David had an affirmation sheet from God, Psalm after Psalm. He felt this, he felt that. But God, you said this. This is what you say about me. I'm going to believe you. Uh, you know, why so downcast, oh, my soul? Then he goes on to talk about, wait a minute, God's input here. Let's listen to what he has to say about us. Uh, the affirmation from God is incredibly strong and powerful, and it will override. But we need to be aware, I think, before that can even take hold of the negative affirmations that might even be subconscious before God can even correct those, because we're not even aware of them. Yeah, so how do you dig those out and get rid of them? I, I well, that's sometimes it. Sometimes it takes a teammate, you know. Yes. Other times it just takes a time where you sit down and really think through what you're saying to yourself, and and why is it that? Uh, what is my fear here? And by the way, Hans, I use my fears and my doubts as allies. Really? Because yes, and here's why: because whatever I'm fearing or anxious about, it's God's way of helping me point out where I'm not trusting Him. Mm. And so immediately, instead of saying, oh, man, I'm so here I go, anxious and fearful again, or doubts, uh, I'll think, well, what is it that I'm fearful of? What is the doubt? Oh, I'm, this is it. Okay, well, you know what? Thank you, Lord. This is an area where I'm not trusting you. Thanks for pointing that out. So these become my Geiger counter, so to speak, to kind of flesh out where I'm not trusting the Lord. If I can dig out, where, what, it was, what is it that I fear? Let me start digging there. And you know what? That's where I'm not trusting the Lord. And it becomes more to my it comes to my conscious level that way. I like that Uh, on the on the action thing about motion. I I so agree with you when I 
work with people who are paralyzed by fear or doubts, the one thing I tell them is, you know, it's uh, get moving, get, get into action, and, and the feelings will follow. It's like, you know, the, 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 the engine of the train is action, and the, and the cars are the feelings that comes later. Kind of reminds me of Bill Bright when he used to say, you know, fact, faith, and feeling. Sure. Absolutely. I just want to mention another thing that when I went off on my own and started my own ministry and business after my whole career uh, working in a big organization, one thing I did about this self-talk is I wrote a lot of the people who I'm very close to, and I said, would you just tell me one positive thing that you think about Hans? I know there's a lot of negative things, but when you think of Hans Finzel, what is something really positive that you feel like contribute? to the world. Hmm. I got some great stuff. And actually, I took a lot of that and shaped it into a list as part of my affirmations. Don't you find sometimes that other people believe in you a lot more than you believe in yourself? I do. And I teach the students in the MBA program. One of the first things I do is, is have them read an article about the imposter syndrome. Really? What is that? The imposter syndrome is an apt, the more, and the higher you go in achievement, the greater you suffer from it. The imposter syndrome is this. Okay, Mick, you got a PhD. If they really knew you really did, they wouldn't think you're nearly as smart as they think you are. <laughs> you're an imposter. But, but bottom line is they're probably right. Yeah, no, I <laughs> totally relate to that. I totally relate to that. Here's what happens. People that... Uh, People that get promotions or people that are out there doing work, and it usually happens to achievers. They have this imposter syndrome that if people really found out the truth about them, they would not be respected as much. They wouldn't be uh, wanted to be promoted as much, that they wouldn't be as smart as people think they are. And it's it's something. And when you discover that everybody tends to suffer from the imposter syndrome, you go, oh, my goodness, we're all being duped. And that's one of the every one of the I, by the way, I did this at a retreat one time. There was a uh, ex U.S. vice president, an, a PGA top he had won 21 PGA tournaments and he's in the PGA Hall of Fame, captain of the Ryder Cup. There was one of the top estate attorneys and on and on 32 men of great caliber. And after I talked about the imposter syndrome, you could have heard a pin drop and every one of them to a man said they suffered from that. Wow. I certainly suffer from that. Now, is there an article? Is there an article I can point my folks to? Yes, there is. I tell you what, you you can shoot it to me later. I'll put it on the listening notes. Okay. It's it's I will do that. I have my MBA students read this article. It's it'll it's really to me, you realize, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And now you begin to laugh at the imposter syndrome instead of having it dictate what you do and make you feel like a schmuck. I love that. Can totally relate to that. Okay, before we go on, I want to ask you also about the concentration you mentioned. And that's something else that when you work for yourself, and I work with a lot of people that work with themselves, for themselves, they're solopreneurs, and they have this real problem with concentration. And it's so intensified by social media now, isn't it? With Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. So what have you learned about concentration? You need to be brutal about it. You need to figure it out, cut it out. Simplify to amplify, and believe me, then you need to do maintenance because it creeps right back in. Do you have any? Uh, yeah, do you have any practical? Just a couple of things that you do on a daily basis to help yourself concentrate. Some practices in your daily habits. First thing I do in the morning 
is make my bed. Oh, okay. And this is why the military does that. Because they say if you can do the simple things, you can do the harder things as well. So they make you make your bed every morning. Clean your desk. Hang things up. Get rid of stuff. Make it a discipline. The 80-20 principle? Yes. Well, my, my closet would be like the 90-10 principle. 90% of the stuff I wear 10% of the time. 10% of the stuff I wear 90% of the time. Why am I bugging myself with all this stuff in my closet? <laughs> Give it away. <laughs> now, the women out there who are listening are laughing their heads off about now. <laughs> because well, they I, want choices. <laughs> Let me tell you right now, Louise Euclid the other day went through her closet and made a major impact in giving stuff away. Cool. Women, yeah, you 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 it'll simplify your life. It it'll do wonders for you. Uh, but you do the same thing in terms of the kinds of paperwork you keep or the kinds of the way you keep your desk. My desk sometimes gets so messy I can't think straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the secret and really, really clarity. When I clean up, it leads to clarity Good in my life. I love it. Confusion is the other one. When my desk gets messy, I get confused. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, Donna will be listening to that, and she'll be saying, well, I guess I live in a state of confusion. <laughs> <laughs> my desk is always perfectly orderly, clean German desk, but hers, you know, yeah. That's why she's more fun to be around. (laughs) Because when people come into my space, it's an interruption. When they come into her space, it's an opportunity. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Let's see. We've got time for one more um, leadership principle, maybe that you just love to propagate. One of the leadership principles I love, and it usually takes some time to develop, but I'll just say it very quickly. It's called the ability to self-differentiate. In other words, know where you end and others begin, because there's two great forces in life. One's the force for uh, togetherness, and one's the force for separateness. If we get too far apart, too separate, we miss out on the connectivity, the feedback loops. We don't learn anything. We cut ourselves off from the herd. If we get two together, then we get enmeshed in other people's stuff, mm. and and it's groupthink, and it's the, the mob psychology and, you know, we, we don't think on our own. And, and we take things personally sometimes because we're enmeshed. People in churches, you get enmeshed with their pastor. It's amazing uh, how this works. So the ability to self-differentiate, I think every leader, the more they can do this and keep those two in balance, togetherness and separateness, knowing where they end and others begin, they'll make better decisions. Uh, they will not get take things personally. And it will do wonders for them in terms of making the right choices as they lead the people in, in, the, in the correct way. Self-differentiation to me needs to be taught a lot. It's hmm. great. Excellent. All right, let's talk about a top book you recently read and that you would recommend to my listeners. Well, I'm, I'm a big-time reader, but the latest one I read was Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. Oh, you would love that book. It's right down your, you would love that book because it's about, they uses the military. In other words, the whole point is that you develop a circle of safety. And when you do that in an organization, then you can man your power toward the real competition because you're not worried about other people in the organization, what they're going to do to you. So you don't have to politic and and use all your effort to, to exist and survive in your own organization. The military does this so well, so he uses them as an example because officers do. They eat last. 
And this is what they do for their men. And the officers never go without food because the men, if they see the officers don't have any food, they'll come and each one of them give him a little bit of their food. Hmm. So this is what they do. And, and there's a circle of safety, which means now we are committed to the real enemy, not to ourselves. We're not going to beat up on ourselves. And in organizations, this is what that book is all about. If you can create a circle of safety, hmm. it's amazing what that team will do in terms of engagement, uh, in terms of uh, well-being on the job, in terms of real productivity, of really fighting for that organization and for your leaders because you know everybody's got everybody else's back. It's a great little book. I know there are people listening who work in places where they don't feel safe because I hear that all the time. I think about one of my sons who is working right now in a place very unsafe. He cannot be himself. He cannot say what he thinks. So those of you who are listening in any kind of leadership or management, that's a, I'm going to get that book. But that's one of our big jobs, isn't it, Mick, to create safety, to create Absolutely. an atmosphere of trust. This is what uh, I'm on a board called Lead Like Jesus, Ken Blanchard. It's a, and I've been on it since its inception. And that's the whole concept of what Jesus did, too. There was a safety there. And these guys would do anything as a result of it. Uh, and the reason Simon Sinek wrote the book is because so many organizations don't have that circle of safety and there's so much politicking and it's like your son. I know your son, he's a great kid, but that's, that's a tough environment to work in. It is. It is. Well, we're almost done here. Uh, you and I were both mentored by Howie Hendricks. Occasionally I do mention him. Uh, I learned so much from him and so many of us did, but I'm not asking you to, to refer to him, but what is one of the greatest pieces of advice you ever received in your life, especially as it relates to being a leader for God? Well, you know, you quote a lot of Howard Hendricks, so I'll let you continue that, but that guy marked all of us. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I was interviewing John Wooden on his 96th birthday, and you're going to love this because of the book you wrote. But on his 96th birthday, on this TV show, at the end of it, I said, Coach, you're so enthusiastic about life. You're 96 today. Why are you so enthusiastic about life? And he said, Mick, the moment your past becomes more exciting than your future is the day you start to die. Oh. Yeah. And I, I said, whoa. And uh, he said, in fact, I hope this interview is almost over because I have 15 coaches coming in from the Midwest. I need to meet him in Encino. It He's is. 96. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. That'll be my quote for the show. Well, thank you so much. How can listeners connect with you, Mick? Uh, they can go to uh, www.leadershiptrack, track is spelled T-R-A-Q, dot com. There's all kinds of stuff on there, and uh, connect and get the blog, and you can email me. If I can do anything for you, just let me know. Uh, I have the seal of good housekeeping from Hans Fenzel. You, you can't get any better than that. So. <laughs> Hey, well, it's been great. Thank you so much for being on the show. God bless you, brother. It's been awesome. Thank you. It's been great connecting. Thanks a lot, Hans. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership. 